Hello and welcome to the Double Play Podcast. I am your host, Anderson Picard, coming to you live from a remote location in the middle of nowhere. No, I have not been kidnapped. I'm just here entering week 16 of uh, social distancing and all this coronavirus craziness. But we do have good news for you here in this episode. Uh, Fresh off of last night, baseball is back. It's now officially official, so that is Great news. We'll get into that a bunch. We also have some football coverage. Football has been semi-quiet, but we'll have some news to cover. Also, uh, digging into an interview I did a few weeks ago with Him and Her Sports, a great uh, sports Twitter account that goes by the uh, account name Angry Sports Couple. I talked to them about their uh, unique account endeavor, as well as their uh, thoughts on different fantasy football scenarios heading into 2020. So, Without further ado, uh, make sure to follow the show on Twitter at DoublePlayPTST. I'm your host, Anderson Picard. You can follow me on Twitter at Anderson Picard, believe it or not. So, we'll get into this right away. Baseball is officially back, but that doesn't mean there aren't any uh, you know, hurdles to cross once the season returns. There's going to be a lot of differences, obviously. First of all, it's a 60-game season. Major League Baseball's Players Association declined the league's 60-game proposal, uh, which included uh, different, you know, various um, ways for baseball to be altered in 2021 in addition to 2020, which the players were not high on. Uh, The proposal also included the players waiving their right to file a grievance, and they didn't want to waive that right either. So they were actually able to win, you know, pretty well. It wasn't their ideal scenario. Obviously, it would have been great if the two sides could have come to an agreement four or five weeks ago, two months ago even, uh, and, you know, played baseball socially distanced. But uh, it is what it is. Baseball is back. 60-game season. Uh, This season was implemented by Rob Manfred, who had the authority to do so based on a prior agreement between the league and the Players Association set in March of this year, uh, late March, about a week and a half after the season was uh, suspended. So we will open with a spring training 2.0, call it summer training, call it training camp, whatever you want. It's not a normal Major League Baseball spring training. Most of it will be conditioning and getting ready for the season. Now, expect teams to play in-house scrimmage type games. Rosters will be expanded to 60 and then cut down to 30 and then 28 and then 26, with teams allowed to carry a 27th player for doubleheaders. This allows them, uh, you know, to get players ready in case of a coronavirus shutdown. It also, uh, you're not a shutdown, but um, if players on the team catch coronavirus and they can call up another wave of players to take their shape and they'll be, you know, decently conditioned. Uh, it also allows players to, you know, just get that, that uh, not service time, because it's actually not service time, it's something that needs to be discussed, but gets them that time on the field because it's likely that the minor league baseball season will be canceled. So organized team workouts will be limited to the major league baseball training camp in the major league baseball season. So this allows for an extra uh, 34 players, uh, minor league players to get time on the field working out. So this will probably be full 40 man rosters plus another 20 fringe players, maybe prospects, uh, you know, maybe triple A guys who've, bumped up in the past um perhaps some players who were removed off the 40-man roster in recent years um and 
again, some players, you know, there's there's strategy behind this too. There's going to be some players on there who won't see a major league roster for three or four years, but they'll be practicing. You know, there's there's different strategies behind it. So we'll see those put into place. Uh, I'm sure. So players will report on July 1st. Opening day will be around July 23rd or July 24th. Uh, the Major League Baseball statement wasn't extremely clear on that, but what I'm guessing is some teams will open July 23rd, some will open July 24th. I believe July 24th is a Friday, so yeah, July 24th is a Friday, so uh, you know most teams will probably start then, but we could see a few doing either four-game series ending on Sunday or three-game series ending on Saturday. They're going to play 60 games in 66 days. Both sides are, uh, you know, excited that this came together. They uh, made it a priority to agree to health and safety protocols before any official announcement was made. Naturally, of course, you know, that doesn't surprise me. Uh, Major League Baseball had asked the league by Tuesday at 5 p.m. to submit uh, either a yes or no if players could report to camp by July 1st, so just about a week. Uh, of you know turnaround time and then also if they agreed to the health and safety protocols uh, they did report a yes in the reporting by July 1st uh, but they, they got that in by 5 p.m. they did not submit their answer to the health and safety protocol by 5 p.m. Um, but I'm sure the league and the players association were in contact because Manfred and the union and various other um, you know p uh, important people were in discussions throughout the evening to finalize that protocol. So as I, you know, if I had to imagine, the players didn't say yes, which is why we didn't hear a yes answer by 5 p.m. But they said we like this. We just want to, you know, clarify or negotiate these last, these few, few small points that need to be adjusted. And that seemed to go pretty smooth. Uh, reports said there was one last issue that wasn't revised uh, right away, um, but you know, within the course of uh, two and a half, three hours. It was, it was agreed upon. Uh, there are a couple things that need to be, uh, you know, taken into account based on transactions and roster sizes. There will be a trade deadline this season. It will be August 31st. That just makes me, you know, I love that. Uh, trade deadline is my favorite day of the MLB season. Um, but it's interesting because the trade deadline will be August 31st. Obviously, if you make it much later than that, you're infringing on the playoffs. And I don't expect too many trades this year. First of all, just the ethics of it. Making players travel during a pandemic is not a great idea. You know, switch houses, find a new house. There's just a lot of stuff that, you know, the ethical dilemma there. But I'm sure there will be some trades. But if you're going to be trading on August 31st, that's almost... That's about 34, 35 games into your season with another uh, 30, uh, 25 games. So it's about halfway through, which is when the normal MLB trade deadline usually is. It's a little past halfway. But it's just interesting that, you know, you never have a trade deadline 30 games in. That's, you know, it's quick turnaround time to judge your players, see which other players you like, which is why I, another reason why I don't think there'll be that many trades. But nonetheless, I love it. I love the trade deadline, favorite day of the year. So let's get it going. Jerry DePoto, start, start wheeling and dealing, please. Uh, on the other hand, transactions were frozen during the shutdown time. We know there were a bunch of minor league players who were released, but we didn't see any signings or trades. That freeze will end this Friday at noon Eastern time. I don't expect a large flurry of transactions at noon once that uh, once that you know deadline hits. Um, you know, I'm sure there were a lot of minor league contracts that were verbally agreed to, and some major, perhaps a major league deal. Yasiel Puig was rumored to the Giants. 
so those could become official at noon on Friday. Uh, it's hard to get a sense for how many there were because they were never reported. You know, usually when you have a minor league deal that's, you know, doesn't become official right away, it's still reported by reporters in the first place. So uh, we haven't seen any of that. I know I personally have uh, have covered some minor league news in the past few years, but I haven't seen any uh, minor league signings, haven't heard of any for that matter. Uh, so I, you know, I'm sure there are some, mostly minor league, perhaps a couple major league, um, but as of now, haven't heard of any. I'm sure there's no claims or transactions. I bet no one was bumped off the major league roster. Um, again, just for the ethical part of it. Um, plus, it's harder to facilitate a trade because then you need two teams to both agree to you know make those transactions during the transaction freeze. By 3 p.m. this Sunday, uh, so that would be Sunday the 28th, players must submit a 60-man player pool to the league. So that will include, like I said, the names of 60 players, presumably a 40-man roster plus 20, uh, you know, other candidates for working out and possibly spending time in the majors this year. Teams during the season can take up to three taxi squad players on the road. This is, you know, helpful because one, you don't want to have separate travel. You probably want everyone traveling at once, but also you never know. There could be injuries, but more importantly, there could be, uh, you know, coronavirus getting caught. Uh, teams can take up to three taxi squad players. But if they take three, one of those three must be a catcher. So really, you can have two non-catcher uh, taxi squad players. It's interesting how that came about. You know, I'm surprised they didn't put pitcher in there. Like, I'm not, I'm surprised maybe they, you know, maybe next time they'll, or not next time, but I'm surprised they didn't say one pitcher, one fielder, and I don't know. I, I just don't quite get the catcher part in there. I mean, I know most infielders or some infielders, infielders can shift they can, if they're a second baseman, they can possibly play third and short as well. So there's a lot of infielders and outfielders who are able to shift positions, which makes them more versatile and valuable, whereas catchers often stick to catcher, sometimes first and third in the outfield, but mostly just catcher. So that could be part of it. Um, you know, I could be missing something too, um, but right now I can't quite think of that. But still an interesting rule. I like the three taxi squad players on the road. Uh, that's good. As for games, there will be 60 games, as I said, 40 intra-league and 20 inter-league so uh, teams will play 10 games each against a divisional opponent so for example the Blue Jays will play 10 against the Yankees 10 against the Red Sox 10 against the Orioles and 10 against the Rays then they'll play four games each against each divisional opponent in the opposite league so they'll play uh, the taking the Blue Jays again for example they'll stick in the east the NL east so they'll play four against the Nats four against the Marlins four against the Mets, four against the Phillies, and then four against the Braves. So that's how that uh, breakdown will occur. Uh, I like, you know, I like the sounds of that. Keeps them regional, won't make them so they don't have to travel much. Uh, helps, you know, helps flatten the curve, cut down on uh, spread of the coronavirus. Uh, virus. The DH is going to be implemented across all leagues because there's going to be so much interleague play it's necessary to have the dh for all parts of games uh this could also help with you know just thinking uh expanded with roster decisions whereas if you have a pitcher hitting you probably want a larger bench because you're going to pinch hit for that pitcher but now with the dh your dh is going to be expected to stay in the game for all nine innings i mean it's just going to happen you, you know, that, that helps you avoid such a turnover. 
your pitchers might go later in the game too. You could you could uh, argue that you'll have to use less pitchers on your roster because when there's a pitcher in the seventh inning who's got a pretty good game going, starting to get a little shaky, but their batting spot is due up, and then you sub them out of the game, you want that hitter in, and you'll let the bullpen finish. Now, if it's in the seventh inning, is a pitcher who's mowing down batters, maybe starting to near the end of his, you know, uh, end of his outing, stamina's getting low, you still probably keep him in because you don't have to pitch hit for him. You let the DH just stay in the lineup, do your job. So that's that. I like that a lot. I think universal DH should be implemented uh, throughout baseball. Uh, right now, the current plan is just for 2020, uh, but this gives them a good feel for future year, for future years, how it'll turn out. Uh, so that was one rule I do like. If you guys want to hear one rule I don't like, listen up. Extra inning games will start with a runner on second base. That is garbage. But uh, uh, as Jim Bowden of CBS Sports reports, uh, or I guess mentioned, during the World Baseball Classic, it was a huge success. Um, and I know in minor league games, it's helped shorten games. It's done what the league has wanted it to do and cut down on longer games and pace of play. But I don't see anything wrong with a longer game. Teams can prove that they are equal in, you know, that if if they go two to two, if it's two to two entering the ninth or entering the tenth inning, and then you know someone wins four to three in the seventeenth inning, that's great. That proves that these two teams are equal, and that the game was won fair and square when someone finally had the edge. By putting a runner on second base, you're asking for luck. You're asking for a wild pitch and a sack fly. So you could win the game by taking a ball. A wild pitch ball by taking a ball and then hitting a fly ball to the center fielder. You could win the game by hitting a fly ball. And that happens too with sacrifice flies. I get that. But that caught that makes you put a runner on the base. You have to get on base yourself. You can't get on by a cheated MLB system. You have to get on base by yourself. Then you have to get around the bases. You're halfway to home in this new plan. And there is so much luck and it's going games are going to end so much quicker, which is what the league wants. But it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous that they have to that they're going to have runners on second base. I've seen it in the minors, and I haven't liked it. I've said, "Oh, that's neat that they put the runner on second base. It's cool to see how MLB's plans are being implemented in the minors, so they're testing it out." But I hate it. I'm a traditionalist. Let these games go until someone can prove that they can win, not until someone proves that they're lucky and that they won a game without you know without that legitimate effort, that legitimate grind to get the players around the bases. I am not a fan of the extra innings. Uh, with runners on second base. Uh, Jim Bowden, sticking to Jim Bowden here, he reported that the Giants are expected to be in, in play for outfielder Yasiel Puig as soon as the freeze is lifted. Again, that was mentioned a while back that he was reportedly going there. Signings, I don't believe, could be made as part of that transaction freeze, so we'll see if that comes to fruition. Uh, I know there was Gabe Kapler and Farhan Zaidi both said that there was no deal in place, uh, but... There's no way of knowing if that's true or not because they can't speak officially. You know, they can't say a deal happened until a deal is actually official and verified by Major League Baseball. So quite possible that a deal is done and they're just waiting for that transaction freeze to lift. Opening day will be July 24th or 23rd. Like I mentioned, regular season will end on September 27th. That is good for the league because it allows them to get their playoffs in before November, which is, you know, that was one thing they were not budging on. And that was one of the big concerns the whole time was that the players wanted the season to go into, you know, mid to late or uh, I guess early to mid November uh, with with super agent Scott Boris being the exception. He wanted to go to Christmas Day at one point. 
Uh, that was that was thrown out the window pretty quickly. I can I can say that for sure. Uh, other rules to note, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff. Chris Cotillo of Mass Live had a lot of good uh, stuff on different, you know, ways things are going to work. Uh, he mentioned that there's go like the process that's going to be put in place. So players will have an intake screening. So uh, let me let me tell you exactly what that's about. This is again from an article from Mass Live's Chris Cotillo. Uh, he said. On Twitter, there's going to be an intake screening, three phases, exhibition games where innings can end before three outs, staggered reporting, and much more. Uh, so it's a really interesting process. Obviously, safety is the priority. Uh, for reporting to camp, teams should have their employees report in a certain order. Support staff will arrive first uh, and you know get the, get the stadium and facilities ready for the players, cleaned up, ready so they can, or not cleaned up as much, but ready for them to you know, have their equipment in place and have everything set up. They're not just going to be using the field. It's, ex it's expected that teams will use backfields, parking lots, uh, concourses, opposing visitors' clubhouses. You know, so you could have your, your lemonade stand set up in concourse B and Chris Sale is throwing a 99-mile-per-hour fastball next to it in his bullpen session. There's going to be 60 players in one stadium. They need every inch they can get, especially while keeping social di socially, socially distance. So support staff will arrive first. Managers and coaches will arrive next, you know, probably in the similar phase of uh, the support staff, just so they can see that everything was set up correctly, begin to officially plan and set up for their, um, you know, their training. And then the uh, pitchers and catchers would report next, and then position players finally. So similar to uh, spring training itself, but obviously with different guidelines. Uh, reporting dates will be staggered, of course, just again for, I, all of these are for safety uh, reasons. Before arriving at camp, players will complete a COVID-19 educational course and learn about health and safety protocol as well as rules and recommendations. It'll be interesting to see if this, if players are required, like, they're going to be required to follow it, but will it be enforced? Will they have to sign off on it? Will they have to, will it be mobile and they will, you know, on their computer, it'll only allow them to submit it once they get through every page? It's going to be hard to enforce that. Um, it, it could be hard to enforce that. It could be easy, depending on how strict the league wants to be. Uh, and, you know, what the ramifications are if they don't, um, you know, read it as they're expected to. Uh, they'll also be required to fill out symptom and exposure questionnaires. Not quite sure what those will look like, but just another key safety aspect. And then when they arrive at camp, they will undergo an intake screening, which is a medical examination that will ensure the player is simply healthy to play. They'll be checked for temperature, they'll get a COVID test, a blood test to see if they have COVID antibodies. If After being tested, they'll self-isolate for another 24 to 48 hours. So even if they test and they test negative, they'll be in isolation for 24 to 48 hours. Presumably that's how long it takes for the test to come back. So if they're 26 hours in and the test comes back negative, then I don't think the, they're going to say wait the full 48 hours. I think it's just, you know, they're expecting that the test will take 24 to 48 hours to come back. So once those tests get back, they're cleared to start participating in camp. The phases will be broken into three phases, or uh, the, the phases will be broken into three, a three-week period. Three phases, phase one, phase two, phase three. And phase one, players will be expected to, to be divided into groups of five or fewer players and work out at assigned times and areas around the team complexes. Uh, in the second phase, there'll be smaller workouts, but like uh, group sessions with a larger group of players uh, will be allowed. Intra-squad games will be permitted. 
I said permitted. Uh, anyways, larger group sessions and intra-squad games. So among their own team, Red Sox versus Red Sox, Cardinals versus Cardinals, etc. Those will be permitted. Uh, beyond that, you know, uh, phase three is the big one. Teams will play other teams in traditional spring training games. It's unclear if this will even occur. You know, it's possible that phase three doesn't occur, but it's expected that it will just not sure the quantity, uh, as Catillo wrote in his article, which I'm getting all this information from. He did a great job. You know, uh, he mass live obtained the the proposal that was sent the uh, to the league or to the players. So uh, he's as he said, it's currently unclear how many exhibition games will be played. Though MLB is expected to set a maximum number of games allowed to be played by each team. So we'll see how that all turns out. Uh, there will be defensive managers. So, uh, rule changes include defensive managers able to end innings prior to three outs following any completed plate appearance, as long as the pitcher has thrown at least 25 pitches uh, for exhibition games. Substitution rules will be relaxed. Pitchers can re-enter at any point. So, this is just, you know, part of the spring training process, helping them, uh, you know, keep safe, keep the process um, healthy for the players, both in terms of coronavirus and just, uh, you know, their physical state, and just have the games going smooth. Uh, the three batter minimum and universal implementation of the designated hitter will be enforced in all spring tr spring games, which makes sense because those are rules that were expected to take place this season. Uh, well, the the three batter minimum was expected to place whether the coronavirus hit or not. The DH is for the shortened season only, but we'll see both of those in spring training games. Uh, as I mentioned, Sunday the list of 60 players in each designated player pool will be submitted. Uh, they can send more than 60 they can send you know beyond the 60 players they can send an additional group to an alternate site they will continue to work out during the season throughout the season so those don't have to be sent immediately at any point in time they can call players and say hey let's you know let's get you in for a workout just to keep you in shape following our team uh you know team guidelines and process to stay you know an active baseball player at the end of spring training as i mentioned teams must cut down their rosters to carry 30 players for opening day after or as the first you know few weeks of the season uh, progress, the number goes down to 28 players on the roster and then down to 26 eventually. Any players who don't make the team will train at their team's alternate facility, which is required to be close to the team's home city. Uh, teams will likely invite 60 but could make early cuts, um, you know, just for social distancing measures. Uh, the the manual that uh, Catillo and Mass Live obtained does encourage early cuts. Uh, it asks clubs to potentially invite, quote, a smaller subset of players who have a chance to make the club's opening day roster. So I could see the tough thing there is with the, how early are the cuts going to be? You're going to have camp for three and a half weeks. Are you going to cut them within three days and send them home to, you know, their hometown of Florida? Like what's, I mean, I mean, I guess you could put them in that alternate site, but, you know, if you're going to cut someone after three and a half days, personally, I say don't invite them at all or send them to the alternate site in the first place. Even if they know they're going to be cut, like, you know, not, not as much as like the surprise factor and just the disappointment, but commuting, you know, getting them to the stadium, putting them through two days of isolation and testing just to practice for three days and not make the team and not play baseball in games for the whole season. Like, that seems a little too much. So I wonder if teams will say, here's our 50 players. We know about 10 who will make the roster. Of the last 40 of you, 
half will make the roster, and we want you guys to fight it out, battle, prove that you're ready, prove that you're in shape, prove that you stayed in shape, prove that you worked out, and prove that you're the best 30 players to make the roster. So I think we could see something like that. I don't think we'll see too many teams take the full 60 players, but again, who knows? That's why I'm not the GM. Uh, testing during camp. Players will have their temperature checked twice per day and undergoing COVID testing every two days. Anyone who tests positive or is exposed to someone who tests positive or even has COVID symptoms will be isolated from their teammates. The league will have a special injured list designated for those impacted by COVID-19. So impacted includes testing positive, experiencing uh, and exhibiting symptoms, or anyone who is exposed to such players. Teams are required to have designated testing areas at their facilities. Lockers are supposed to be spaced out. Teams are going to have to procure temporary locker space. Uh, so, you know, again, I don't think that should be too much of an issue until games start and then you have to fill two teams in one stadium. But then again, at that point, roster sizes will be cut down to uh, 30. So, you know, it all it all works together. So those are the main things in regards to the safety measures. Uh, you know, it's there's a lot that still hasn't been determined, quite honestly. Um, there's... As I, I saw someone tweet, and I apologize because I don't know who this was, whose report this was, but uh, the league and players will likely agree to more side deals going forward. They got everything, like, they could start the season as of right now, but there's some areas that still need to be determined. And these, they don't, they, these last few areas that haven't been determined are things that will benefit both the league and the union. So, uh, you know, for example, the schedule. This was submitted to the MLBPA, and I think it'll be approved. I don't think that'll be a hurdle. But that hasn't been agreed to yet officially. It's expected to be agreed to uh, today, Wednesday. Uh, in addition, the, you know, there's just so many aspects of it that haven't been hammered out that we don't know about. Like, we don't know which, some some parts that haven't, haven't been hammered out. So that'll be determined by the players and the league and should be an easy hurdle to cross throughout the whole thing. Uh, it's also interesting that TV broadcasters won't travel. So your TV broadcasts could be a bit bland. Uh, it's going to be uh, the home team will provide the video feed, which will be normal as usual. And then the radio broadcasters will cover both radio and TV feed. So it'll be a little bit different. Um, the radio broadcasters can attend road. They can attend road games. So the broadcasters for the uh you know, if it's Red Sox Cardinals, well, that's not going to happen. Red Sox Braves in Atlanta, then the Braves will submit the audio feed to the uh, Red Sox channel, which I believe is Nesson, and the Braves channel, which I believe is a Fox Sports uh, channel. So, the, but then the Fox Sports broadcasters will, or actually it'll be radio. So at that point, the radio broadcasters in Atlanta for the team will broadcast it, uh, or they will, you, they'll do the announcing for both the Atlanta radio and the Atlanta TV using the Atlanta video feed. The Red Sox radio broadcasters will be broadcasting the, or will be uh, commentating the game uh, through the radio, through Boston Radio and Boston TV, but the TV games will be done through the Atlanta video feed, if that makes any sense. You know, just so there's not two teams of TV broadcasters there, not two teams of cameramen there. Um, the So those are the main things. Uh, there's so much more, I'm sure, uh, but... You know, those are the main aspects of it. Uh, all in all, baseball's back. A couple, f uh, one more thing is spitting is prohibited. 
saliva, sunflower seeds, peanut shells, and tobacco are a no-no at all times in facilities and on the field. Chewing gum is allowed. Um, so, I don't know. Chewing gum, I kind of see that is the same thing as as the, uh, the, you know, seeds and saliva. I mean, you can't have saliva. You can't spit saliva, but you can chew. I, and I know that the concern is spitting. When you're spitting, you're projectiling your saliva and things that you've put your your germs on throughout the air and throughout a larger space. But chewing gum, I mean, there's so much there to do with your mouth. You're putting your hand in your mouth to put the gum in. You're putting your hand out of your mouth or you're, you're picking the gum out of your mouth with your hand to throw it in the trash unless you're spitting it. But then at that point, you're spitting. So that's not allowed. So you have to put your hand in your mouth to put your gum in and in your mouth to take your gum out. So that's putting your hand on your mouth. And I know that can't be avoided the whole time, but I think cutting down on that would have been good. Uh, then again, some players do love chewing gum, but at the same time, players love sunflower seeds. So, you know, I think they should have just banned chewing gum. But again, I'm not going to get into a whole discussion about chewing gum, which I already have for the past minute. So beyond that, uh, the operating manual that was submitted was 101 pages. And... You know, there was a lot in it. Most of it was agreed upon already. As I said, there were a couple of uh, late parts of it. Uh, as for reporters, there will be a select group of reporters allowed in the stadium uh, for every game, just doing game, you know, game write-ups, things they see that aren't on the TV broadcast. But the main thing will be Zoom press conferences. So uh, players and their, uh, and the managers and executives will be on Zoom for press conferences with all the media members. And I believe that includes even the uh in you know i'm sure that i'm sure that includes the in-house media members i'm not sure if they'll be allowed to watch those press conferences in the stadium press box or not um but uh they will also be on zoom players will be allowed to enter the stadium uh an hour or five hours before game and leave no later than uh 45 minutes after the game concludes so those are the main things um the COVID-19 related injured list has no minimum or maximum length stay either. Just wanted to point that out. I know that was random, but that was on Joel Sherman's uh, The New York Post. It was on his Twitter feed, so I wanted to point that out. Um, oh, one more thing from Sherman here. Forgot to put this in my notes. But players or managers who, live their, who leave their positions to argue with umpires come within six feet of an umpire or opposing player or manager for the purpose of an argument or engage in on-field altercations are subject to immediate ejection and discipline, which includes fines and suspensions. So... Don't get within six feet of your umpires or opponents if you're going to argue. Uh, that wraps up the baseball portion of this. It was a busy, busy week in baseball. I didn't talk about too much of the previous proposals because honestly right now, I care that baseball is back and baseball is back. So that's awesome. Baseball is back. Baseball is back, guys. One week and players are reporting. We have Major League Baseball in one week. Congratulations, everyone. And I truly, I say that. In all honesty and truthfulness, it's been a long ride. Uh, baseball hasn't put their best f appearance forward, both in, both in terms of the players' union and the owners. You know, I know there's people who side with the owners and people who side with the players, and that's great. I'm not going to, you know, get into that either. Um, but it's, you know, baseball has looked ugly. Basketball, hockey, all got themselves set up and ready to go. Um, really fairly quickly without too many hurdles to cross. Basketball had a little bit, but they, you know, they've been ready for almost a month now. Uh, football had free agency. They had their draft, um, virtual settings. There were some hurdles there, but looks like they're going to have a season unless there's a wave two. 
So, all in all, baseball is back, and that wraps up the board, baseball portion of the show. Congratulations, everyone, and uh, I hope you're. I hope I wish your favorite team success, and I wish all the players success and uh, health as they continue on this crazy season and this crazy journey. Without further ado, let's get into the football segment of the show. In football, it's been much different than baseball because there has been a smaller, uh, you know, I guess surplus of news. There's still been news. Players have tested positive. Players from nine teams in football have tested positive, which is a concern. Um, but, you know, it's been quiet because the season's still pretty far away. Uh, the, the the NFL union um, medical officer did suggest players stop working out in groups. But, you know, that was that was just a suggestion. Um there's a lot of players, including Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski and their Bucks teammates who, you know, chose to just keep playing football. Uh, so, you know, the main the main headlines are COVID related, um, but I'll, I'll try and, you know, touch on a few that weren't most recently. Seahawks and Ravens interested in Antonio Brown. So it's unclear if when he returns to the NFL, if he'll be suspended or not, but there he's eyeing a return and the Seahawks and Ravens are both eyeing him. Seahawks seem to have more interest in than Baltimore, but both of those teams, I mean, think just think about those rosters. The wide receiver groups are unique because they don't have a star player, but they're still very good. Tyler Lockett is a great football player, and DK Metcalf had an incredible season. Uh, Hollywood Brown in Baltimore, coupled with that wide, or like not coupled with, but in addition to that wide receiver group, Seth Roberts, um, you know, uh, Willie Sneed, they've got a bunch of guys there uh, who they draft. They drafted a receiver there too, so... Um, uh, you know, those backfields are great too. Those are electric offenses. They're similar offenses led by similar quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson and Russell Wilson. I expect we see more of a Russell Wilson type season from Lamar Jackson, actually. Um, you know, he, uh, Jackson had an incredible 2019 and I don't think he replicates that, but I still think he has a great season and I could see, you know, a little bit more passing, a little less running, which again, replicates what we've seen from, uh, you know, Seahawks quarterback, Russell Wilson. Uh, I think he, either way, he's going to make an offense electric. He is a great football player. The only thing I hope is that he hasn't, you know, that he's continued to work out the way teams would want him to work out. Is, has he been working out at his house and his facility like he would have been if he were in an NFL stadium with an NFL team preparing for a game? That much is unclear. But, you know, for Antonio Brown's sake and for his new team's sake, I hope that is true. Uh, there's a lot on coronavirus fronts, as I said. I'm going to try and avoid that, but I will touch on one here. The NFL is expected to allow teams to decide on attendance policies. Um, so, you know, some many teams have already canceled their or told their season ticket holders that they can uh, cancel their season tickets for this year and renew for 2021 at the same rate. rate so they won't be refunded. It'll just carry over to 2021. Uh, you know, Team, the NFL probably doesn't want to set these attendance policies because it varies by state. So, for example, I don't even know different states' protocols exactly here, so I'm just going to list two random teams. Um, you know, the 49ers could have uh, be allowed to have a 50% capacity, the Jets could have 25%, and the Chiefs could have, they, they can't have people in the stadium. So, and again, I don't know if those are the cases per state exactly, but just, you know, listed three teams off the top of my head. Uh, so, Instead of the NFL setting something, which clearly the only thing they could set is having no fans in stadiums. That would be the only league-wide thing they could do because some states won't allow fans in seats. 
So instead, they're going to allow teams to decide on attendance policies. And that surely, in addition to that, is attendance. How many players can they, they can have in the stadium? Uh, teams will have to follow COVID-19 protocols, as always, as expected. I mean, that should be a given right now. Uh the Lions had a shakeup in their ownership group. Lions owner Martha Firestone Ford stepped down, handed over the role to her daughter, Sheila Ford Hamp. Martha was, what, what is she? I think she was 94 years old, or is 94 years old, I believe. I don't have the exact number in front of me, but I believe she's 94 years old. So kudos to her for a good run in that ownership department. And uh, good luck to Sheila Ford Hamp going forward as the new owner of the Detroit Lions. Uh, 49ers and newly acquired offensive lineman Trent Williams have agreed to a revised deal. Williams, uh, you know, decided not to ask for an extension. Instead, he asked for perks for this year. He asked for roughly a 50% guarantee on his remaining salary. And he asked and was approved the team waiving their right to franchise tag him. So, in the contract, it strictly says that he cannot be franchise tagged next year. Now, this is something we saw with Tom Brady in his new contract that kicked in this year. However, unlike Tom Brady, I don't think Trent Williams will be leaving. I just think this will allow him to maximize his extension efforts and get the best deal that he feels he can get. And if him and the team, the big thing here is if him and the team can't agree on an extension, he'll simply walk. He'll just walk. He can't be franchise tagged, so he'll just walk. So that was big. I think that was probably something that the 49ers agreed to. I think they said, yeah, let's get that extension done. I, we're, we'll, we'll let you waive that franchise tag uh, dilemma. Uh, Dalvin Cook is going to be holding out. The Vikings are focused on signing him to a running back. But there's a pretty big separation. I know that Dalvin Cook, he said even if he doesn't get extension, he could consider playing. The only reason he would hold out is if they are very far apart and they don't even make a reasonable, the Vikings don't even make a reasonable offer to him. And so now that he said he's holding out, only one thing is clear. The Vikings have not made a reasonable offer to him. So going forward, he's going to be holding out until he gets even a reasonable offer. He doesn't need to put pen to paper, but for him to return to football, he just needs a reasonable offer from the team because that will allow him to see that they're, they're interested in negotiations and that there could be a deal uh, in the near future, a reasonable deal. Uh, you know, not, that is an interesting decision, too, because that backfield is really good. Uh, reminds me somewhat of San Francisco without without the Cook aspect to it. So without Cook, the Minnesota backfield and the San Francisco backfield are pretty similar. We saw what San Francisco did with their running backs last year. That was pretty incredible. So, you know, it's an interesting dilemma for Cook to have because he deserves the money, but at the same time, he could lose his starting job. And... He'll be better than Alexander Madison and the rest of the guys in that running back unit. But will it be enough for them to keep him? You know, if Alexander Madison's worthy of being our starting running back, top 15 running back in the NFL, there's no reason for the Vikings to keep Cook. So although it won't lower his value in the free agent market, it could hurt his ability to get an extension in Minnesota. So we'll uh, we'll follow that, continue to follow that, if, of course. Uh, Kareem Hunt is looking for an extension. He uh, is, you know, his, his off the field history is behind him and he'd like to receive a new deal from the team. Uh, he, you know, he's, he's slated to be a free agent after this year. I don't think he'll get an extension before the season, but he's a really good running back in that group. And it'll be interesting to see if they can find a way to fit him in in that offense. That offense has so many complimentary players that it could become too much. At wide receiver, they have Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. Running back, it's Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. 
tight end. It's Austin Hooper and David Njoku. Is that too much talent? Will they have to let Cook uh, Hunt go? I, I He's a great player, but I think he's worthy of being a starter somewhere else. And I think the Browns will give him a deal if the price is right. But I don't think they'll be willing to pay him what his actual value is because there's not really a need for him there. They can draft someone who can be a solid backup running back. Um, you know, ideally you have two good running backs like that and maybe not four electric receivers in your tight end wide receiver unit. But, you know, I guess they... So think of it this way. They could let Njoku walk. Um, he's not been super happy with the team. They already have Austin Hooper. I know uh, Kevin Stefanski wants the two tight end unit like he's uh, shown off in Minnesota. But... I don't think David Njoku is going to be too happy to play as a number two tight end, but he is absolutely a number one tight end, top 10, top 15, I'll say top 15 in the league. So uh, it, it could come down to Kareem Hunt and David or David Njoku. They have to pick one or the other, and they'll probably, I mean, it's so, so early to tell because you don't know how they'll do this season. This season will be huge for both of them, but I guess Hunt has the upper hand uh, as of now. Uh, what else is there? There were... Uh, you know, as I mentioned, a flurry of players tested positive for COVID-19, Ezekiel Elliott and Kareem Jackson among them. Um, so there's that. Dak Prescott signed his franchise tag. He wants a four-year deal. The Cowboys want to give him a five-year deal. Uh, so we'll see how that all turns out. And then, of course, Jamal Adams. Uh, we can't forget about Jamal Adams, uh, him and... The Jets have had a dilemma. He has demanded a trade. Jamal Adams wants out. Uh, he has hinted that he wants to land with the Chiefs, 49ers, Cowboys, Ravens, Eagles, Texans, Seahawks, or Buccaneers. The Jets don't want to trade him, though, but Adams could, you know, hold out. He wants $20 million per year extension, which he does not, you know, all respect to Adams. He's a great player. He does not deserve that. He deserves about $15.5 million. Maybe $16.5 million. He is not a $20 million per year player. Um, he did say that depending on the team that he lands with, he could put extension talks on hold. So that's interesting. 49ers signed Kyle Shanahan to an extension. The Niners head coach had a six-year deal tied to San Francisco now through 2025. So it, it sets in immediately. He was under contract, but this new six-year extension takes precedence and goes into effect immediately. Josh Gordon requested his reinstatement from the league office. The 29-year-old has been suspended probably about 29 times. Uh, no, uh, he's been working out, though, in Seattle, and he hopes uh, that teams will give him a chance to play if he's cleared. You know, it's he's not going to get the deal at the value he deserves because teams could be giving him a contract for eight games. Unfortunately, that's the harsh truth. He's, you know, that's the tough thing is he's had so many second chances, and he's said so many times, that he's going to turn himself around. And he's just slipped up. He hasn't been able to turn himself around. So, I mean, I, I you know, I hope for his sake that it, it works out. But at the same time, it's, it's not looking great. I mean, this is his last... If, if he gets reinstated now, I think it's his last chance. I can't, I can't imagine uh, Roger Goodell giving him another chance if he if he messes up another time. Um, but, you know, in terms of his chances to get reinstated this time around, it's not super high. Um, but I think it depends. You know, there's a lot behind the scenes. What he says to Goodell 
as he applies for reinstatement, how he explains himself, how he's done better, how he's improved himself as a human. He loves the game of football, and it'd be really unfortunate if he had to throw that away. Um, so we'll see how that all turns out, but scary path. Hopefully he did turn things around. Hopefully he can prove himself because he is a really good wide receiver. He deserves it. Someone else who also deserves uh, a chance after being a really good receiver, they've been good in the past, but struggled near their final days. Martavis Bryant, he's reportedly applying for reinstatement. Uh, you know, he had a promising career until he started to mess up. He ended his career with the Steelers, or ended his stint with the Steelers, then landed with the Raiders. Didn't do great with them. Um, I don't think he's ever going to be a number one wide receiver in the NFL. Number two, number three is possible. I think he'll get reinstated. Uh, I think he's probably more likely than Josh Gordon at this point. Um, but, you know, I don't see his career turning out as it was expected a while back. Final football topic I want to get into before I share our my interview with you all is Eagles tight end Dallas Goddard, who got sucker punched. Uh, Eagles tight end Dallas Goddard is fine in resting, or he's, he's returned home after he was sucker punched at a South Dakota restaurant by a Florida man. Uh, there was a video posted with footage, and the footage Goddard appeared to be asking a patron to move away from him. The second man, uh, or a second man, walks into the frame and just punches Goddard in the face. The suspected, the, you know, the, the suspect was arrested. Um, Goddard was knocked out cold. It could have been a really fatal injury. It it quite quite could have quite possibly could have resulted in his death. But he survived. He went to the hospital, and uh, you know, he returned home. He should, uh, you know, there there's a lot to be investigated. I'm sure. But as of now, based on just what the video showed, his his career is not in danger. The league, you know, it seemed like he was being peaceful and someone perhaps knew. It's unclear if they knew that he was an NFL player or not. But uh, I I think Goddard is solely the victim. I don't think he did anything wrong in this instance, just based on the security footage. Again, there could be stuff that wasn't on camera that we don't know. But based on the security footage, the, uh, the you know, the suspect was in the wrong and Goddard is, you know, was 100% victim. He didn't do anything wrong to prompt the incident. So uh, we'll see how that turns out. But sounds good with Goddard doing fine after the punch and likely avoiding league discipline. So that's the main coverage in the past few weeks. There's been a lot since we last uh, recorded an episode here. But um, football, it's football, football offseason, a little quiet during the COVID-19 pandemic. But, you know, you're just seeing the basic stuff you see all football offseason. Uh, expect soon to hear more talks about COVID-19 and how uh, roster sizes and rosters and scheduling will be impacted. Could teams end up playing regional, uh, you know, format, kind of like Major League Baseball is doing? Because uh, NHL and NBA are doing hub cities. That's not possible in football and baseball. So we'll see if p- football ends up going to uh, a regional type of uh, setup. Uh, also, Practice squad sizes, supposed to be around a dozen and a half, maybe 16, 18, 15, somewhere around there. Um, I've heard talks that the teams want that number to expand to as much as two dozen, 24, 25. So, because, you know, it's because the uncertainty, players running around, touching each other, tackling each other, breathing on each other, sweating. The risk for, you know, the spread of the, pan- of the coronavirus could put half your roster on the mend. And you could need a, a practice squad of 24 or 25 to get your team back to a decent roster size. Um, anyways, that more more to come on that in the future weeks, I'm sure. But 
to close out this episode, we speak with angry sports couple on Twitter at him and her or him underscore her sports. Uh, so without further ado, let's get right into that chat. So Rob and Britt are here from the Angry Sports Couple Twitter page here to discuss fantasy football, here to discuss their account, here to discuss the 2020 football season outcome. I'm so grateful to have them on the show today. Welcome to the Double Play Podcast, Rob and Britt. Hello. Thank you. Thank you for having us. My pleasure. Thank you for joining the show. So you guys run the Twitter page, Angry Sports Couple, and the username is him underscore her sports, which is pretty unique because you two tweet from the names him and her which kind of puts a personal feel to it. It kind of resembles what Jason and Devin McCourty do with their Twitter page. So can you tell me a bit about how your Twitter page got started and how it has grown from there, as well as what inspired you to tweet from the names, or from the, I guess from the, yeah, the names, him and her? Well, um, we started with just, I mean, during the season, we were always texting, we were always, you know, talking when we were at work, you know, fancy football, you know. And um, it just got to the point where we were like, well, let's, Stop just bugging each other all the time and just, uh, you know, try and talk to some other people about it. And we, we thought it would be a fun thing to do for just for us to share the same page and, um, you, know, you know, just to kind of see you know, what other people were saying and uh, just get involved more in the community. Also, just our uh, our regular home leagues were getting a little boring for us, so we wanted to find some people that were more interested in doing things year-round. And it, it's really uh, – it's really been pretty awesome with the uh, the community on there. It's, it's really taken off. It's been great. We just enjoy it so much. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it seems like you've built a huge account with a huge following that's really just taken off. Uh, before we get into, you know, your your sports opinions and thoughts heading into the 2020 season, can you just tell me a bit about the positive feedback you've received by tweeting as him and her? You know, again, giving it that personal feel. Just tell me a bit about the feedback you've gotten for that and how that came about. Yeah, and, and that's been one thing, too, when, when people always tell us, like, well, y'all, aren't, y'all don't really seem angry. I don't think they got the perfect. <laughs> Usually it's me and her that are arguing against each other and not everybody else. Um, uh, you know, I mean, you know, we have a lot of fun with it, but me and her are also extremely competitive against each other. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, thanks to the, the whole Twitter page and everything else, I think we're in – we're in 19 leagues together right now, wow. yeah. so, which means we're going to be playing each other close to 40 times this season, so that should be pretty interesting. Yeah, so that means him will lose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, so from you guys said you uh, disagree and debate with each other from time to time. Do you take to your Twitter followers and your Twitter community to let them settle your own debates? Oh, yeah, I, I mean... I'd say half the time we agree each other, like when it comes down to like rankings and stuff like that, and, and then the other half, mm-hmm. other half, you know, we might we might disagree on certain ones. Keyshawn Vaughn. Uh, yes, we definitely have certain players that we disagree <laughs> on. <laughs> but the, the, the biggest problem is though when we actually agree on a player, and then we start sniping each other during a draft. Uh, Preston Williams. Darius Slayton. Darius Slayton, yeah. <laughs> Darius Geis. <laughs> Make, make for an awkward dinner table sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> right, I bet there's some friendly debates from time to time. Uh, so you mentioned that you start you started your page during the 2019 NFL Draft, and you've gained 4,000 followers in one year, almost 4,000 followers in one year. What's that all about? How did you do that? I mean, that's that's tough for pages to achieve. Was it the unique aspect of tweeting that you guys have, or the interaction? What was that all about? I, I think it's going to, I'm, I'm going to say it's definitely an interacting thing. I mean, you know, and we we joke about this with each other. Uh, we're not writers. You know, I mean, some some of these guys on there, uh, Sam Wallace, uh, 
you know, those undroppable guys, a bunch of other ones, they, they, they you know, they, they hustle out those articles and everything else. And we'll be telling each other, I don't know why we're doing, like, what, what do we actually do? And it's, it's, I think it's just good conversation. Um, I know people, it's entertaining when me and her do butt heads. Um, he makes a lot of funny jokes, too. I think that's a, that's a good thing. Yeah, and everybody, you know, humor with and everything else. But um, you're just offering something different, I guess, than just, you know, straight up articles, you know, sometimes. Uh, you know, I, 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 half of it's just luck, something to you know, just uh, connecting with all, you know, and also trying to, you know, communicate with anybody, you know, whether it's a, it's a huge account or, you know, it's somebody that's just getting started on there because, you know, we, we all start at zero. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure that aspect of, you know, responding to people, even though you're a growing account, I mean, you know, many fantasy football experts out there don't respond to people because they just have such a large following. And instead of, you know, taking a few and, I guess, disappointing other people, they just take none at all. So it's great that you guys have committed to uh, interacting and engaging with all your followers. Uh, so during the football season, what does your normal day on a Twitter standpoint look like? I mean, I'm sure discussions, analysis, injury reports. Just take me through what a week in the regular season looks like from behind the Angry Sports Couple Twitter page. Uh, it, it, it gets, it, yeah, yeah. Uh, I luck out with, with my work. It, it's uh, the during the fall. It's kind of like my downtime with work, so I, I've got more free time to hit it up. Um, last year we actually had a pretty good contest going uh, when we had the bet. We we, uh, we we had just moved into a new house, and the bet was it was on a uh, fancy playoff game. Uh, him and her were playing, and uh, the bet was either going to be a new TV for the living room or a chandelier for the dining room. And uh, pe- people, pe- pe- yeah, I, I won't, but, but people really enjoyed keeping up on that. Uh, that. That was a fun one to do. Oh, yeah, that's pretty neat. Uh, so during the regular season, do you guys live tweet games too, like uh, during games live, just – you know, updates from the games is that is that correct? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, Sunday is. I mean, that's just so much fun between the you know, you know, we get the red zone going. We usually have uh, two TVs going in the living room with the uh, we have well the Saints game on one and then the uh, you know the red zone running on the other. Ooh, I approve that. I'm red zone all day on Sundays. Definitely, definitely approve of that one. Uh, so you guys mentioned that you agree from time to time. Darius Slayton, Darius Geis, Preston Williams. But what are some of the biggest disagreements that you two have entering in the 2020 season about various players in terms of a fantasy football perspective? Um, I'll say probably the first one that comes to my mind is Jarrett Stidham. She gives me hell for that because usually if, if, if we're drafting like a super flex league, I have the bad habit of waiting too long to get my second quarterback. So I, I, I have, uh, yeah, I've got Stidham in a few spots. Yeah, and I, I just don't really believe in Jarrett Stidham, but I could be wrong, so we'll see. Um, Taysom um, Hill for you. Taysom Hill is on probably every one of my teams. Yeah. Every time <laughs> I draft him, I get a look. I'm, I'm, I'm saying, okay, it's time for me to take Taysom Hill, and he looks at me I, like I, I'm crazy. I think half the time she waits to draft until I'm at work, so I'm not around it, so I can't give her hell for it. <laughs> you dynasty league, so mind you. Yeah, these are, these are our dynasty leagues we're talking about, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Hmm, so what happens first? Does Taysom Hill get drafted first by Britt, or does Jared Stidham get drafted first by Rob? Ooh, I'd probably have to say Hill. Probably, yeah, because yeah, yeah, I take him too early. Yeah, yeah she likes to reach <laughs> on him, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was one area I was actually going to ask you about, was 
Jared Sidham and the New England Patriots. Veering away from a fantasy football perspective for just a second, do you like the Patriots' chances in 2020? Do you like their, uh, you know, their outcome despite losing Tom Brady and a bunch of defensive players? Uh, you know, what's your what's your stance on them heading heading into 2020? Uh, I mean, in the, I mean, we saw Sidham play, you know, the rest of the fans and everything else. Uh, I have confidence in Bill Belichick to try and make it work. I'm not going to say it, that Sidham's going to step up under center and just take over everything. But I think they can find a way to make it work because, unfortunately, nobody's been able to stop him anyway. And, I mean, I, I do think he's smart enough to, to really be a, a really good game manager. I mean, but that that could be an aspect of it. Um, we'll see. And, and one thing, I mean, hopefully they get the offensive line there. Because that, that, was, that was a problem there last year. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, everybody likes to you know, dump on uh, Sony Michelle and everything else. Yeah, he had some problems, but a lot of that was due to the offensive line. And I think, you know, you can get a good offensive line going, you'll establish the run, and that, that'll really take the uh, the pressure off of, you know, a young quarterback. Yeah, I would agree with you there, just in terms of that offensive line has to protect him uh, if they if they want. I mean, he's such an inexperienced quarterback, I guess, that they have to protect him just for the time being so he can learn, uh, you know, the day-to-day process of being a quarterback in the NFL. Uh, so... Looking at the NFL draft, which occurred nearly two months ago now, which NFL draft selections from this year are you most excited about heading into the 2020 fantasy football season? Yeah, uh, yeah uh, I mean, that's pretty much, I think, all we thought about, minus when the Saints pick, that's all we thought about when it came to the NFL draft. That was actually one thing we did for a few of our leagues. Um, you know, you always try and find fun ways to um, you know, pick out your draft order. So we... Um, we did a contest for the first round of who could predict how the first round was drafted, you know, closest. And then, uh, you know, points were assigned. And uh, that's how we decide for a lot of our leagues, like, you know, draft was That was really fun. Yeah, that, 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 was, that was a fun thing to do, yeah. Uh, but as far as, as players that we like, um, I'll go ahead and say I'm really, really high on Cam Akers. Um, yeah. I think he yeah. landed in a, in a wonderful spot no, for him. Yeah, and then it, it, you know we need a little bit of offensive line work there for him, but I, I think you know when they can get um if, they, if any you know that's a very offensive minded coach, I think he'll find a way to to make him use as a weapon. Uh, uh, let's see, uh, I mean Justin Jefferson, obviously. I mean, you know, I mean, Thielen's gonna be gone probably in three years, and that'll be around the time Justin Jefferson's gonna be hitting that prime age. Mm-hmm. Um, who, who's the one with the to yeah, I'm, 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 I'm brain farting here. <laughs> um, yeah, the record went to Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rager, I mean, Rager should be a great pickup just for um, who else are they going to throw to? Right, right. And you bring up a good point with all three of those. I, I agree with you on those. Um, Cam Akers could be in a really good situation as long as he can prove himself out of training camp. And then. Uh, Justin Jefferson in Minnesota. That's an interesting point that you brought up. Feeling there's uncertainty uh, in the future there, so that could be a huge, huge addition, and it can, that could prove to be a really good draft uh, pick for the Vikings. And of course, Jalen Rieger. That's a pretty good system for him. Uh, I like that outcome heading into 2020. If you want a deep guy, uh, we both really like Devin Duvernay in Baltimore. Yes. Yeah, I I would agree with that too because you know they both just in terms of draft value just fell so far. Him and uh, Denzel Mims both. Um, fell. 
So, speaking of receivers, heading into the 2020 fantasy football season, which wide receivers are your biggest sleepers? Uh, Preston Williams is going way too low. I'll take Darius Slayton. Yeah. All right, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say those exact two right now, so uh, I agree with you there. What about running back? Sleeper at running back this year? Running back. Uh, I'm going to go uh, James Conner. Uh, he's go- uh, right now on sleeper. James Conner is being drafted as the uh, running back 26. That's, uh, that's way too low. <laughs> yes, it really is. If people do have worries about him, uh, if you're drafting James Conner, definitely, you know, Later on, uh, pick up uh, Anthony McFarlane, the rookie. Uh, that way you're covered, you know, if they don't keep Connor next year or Connor does get banged up again. Um, I think McFarlane's going to be a good weapon, too. And I'll say Darius Geis. Yeah. Um, his, his ADP is, is insanely low, mm-hmm. <laughs> in my opinion. Um, I think he can just – if he can bounce back and stay healthy, he can be – You know, I, well, mean, I mean, those games no – Those games at the end of last season when he was playing, he was – yeah. Guys is actually being drafted after Keyshawn Vaughn, and that's nuts. <laughs> yeah, I think those two have really interesting situations, both in prove-it years for sure, but still being drafted too low. Uh, you know, For Geis, I think this is going to be an amazing year for him, and uh, just in terms of proving that he can stay healthy and be that top running back once Adrian Peterson departs, uh, maybe even steal some of the thunder from him this year. And then for James Conner, he really needs to prove his value, especially with good running back depth behind him, because I'm sure the Steelers would be more than willing to move on from him. So he needs to prove his value this year. Uh, so then on to quarterbacks. Which quarterback do you like as the biggest sleeper this season? Mm-hmm. Joe Burrow. <laughs> uh, you know, I'll be an LSU homer with that one. I think he's going to impress people. Um uh, just hopefully with the uh, the coaching there. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's just one thing you, you never know when you're developing a young quarterback, you know, what's going to happen with them. But he, he's got some weapons there to use. I mean, uh, with, with you know, like we were talking about with Stidham, you have a good running back there, so that, that should take some of the pressure off. And you've got uh, you got A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, who's going to – Tyler Boyd's going too low. Yeah. Uh, and T. Higgins there. I mean, he, he's got some weapons to use there. And my quarterback sleeper, I'm going to say Daniel Jones. Well, you love Daniel Jones. I love Daniel Jones. You have Daniel Jones everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think think this year he will make some big strides and really be able to, you know, make Darius Slayton that that other sleeper. So there you go. Yeah, definitely. And I agree with you on the Slayton point, as I mentioned. So definitely if they – if Daniel Jones can figure things out, that could be a really great offense. I agree with Daniel Jones as a sleeper. on to tight ends. A bit harder to figure out that position, but do you have any tight end sleepers this year? Um, uh, like Darwin. Oh, yeah. Like Darwin yeah. for me. Um, there's a lot of tight ends, actually, I feel like um, could could fall into that category. Um, you know, Mike Kosicki, uh I really like yeah. him. Uh, Fitzpatrick, you know, but was targeted. He was having some catching problems, uh, but I, I think if if it keeps progressing, he's trending the right way. Mm-hmm. I'm excited about Hayden Hurst in Atlanta also. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if, if you want a really, really like sleeper one, Adam Troutman from the Saints, that kid is athletic like crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think if anybody can make it work, uh, Sean Payton will find a way to, to use him correctly. I agree. Mm, for sure. And I really like that you said Blake Jarwin there. I des- definitely agree with that one. Uh, 
I think he could blossom immensely this season in the Cowboys offense. Uh, so <laughs> thank you for saying that one. Um, beyond the offensive positions, any defensive players you're really liking this year as sleeper picks for fantasy football? Tough. We usually do IDP. Yeah, we're IDP people. Now, if you want, if you want, if you want some IDP people, uh, who are we got? We got Devin White with, with the Bucks. Devin White, yeah. Um, if you want a good rookie, uh, uh, Kenneth Murray. Right. Kenneth Murray. Um, Devin Bush would be. A good yeah, Devin Bush. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that, I mean, I mean, it's, I know it's not sleeper, but that's Steelers defense as far as fancy points goes. I mean, that's that's money right there. For sure, for sure. Uh, so moving on to just in terms of just seasonal outlook, not necessarily fantasy, uh, what are your thoughts on the Denver Broncos this year? I mean, that team is built to win. Drew Locke, Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, Philip Lindsay, Melvin Gordon, uh, Noah Fant, plus a great defense. I mean, that's a tough division, but what do you? what's your outlook and thoughts on how they could perform this season? I think this is one spot where we both agree. Yeah. Uh, they, I, I, I'm, I'm excited. It, it might it, it might not be this year, just you know, because Locke's so young. But but it's I mean I, I, it's gonna be hard to screw that team up. I mean that offense has got weapons everywhere. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've loved Drew Locke since he was at Missouri. Yeah. <laughs> I really have. I've talked about him for years, and now he's finally in a position, and I think he's he can really be successful. I think I like the guy. He's just, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Cortland Sutton, Jerry, Judy. Um, yeah, and then the Melvin Gordon edition just really yeah. makes it. I mean, I'm excited. Yeah. yeah, me too. I've been so excited about that team entering this season. Just, you know, just like I said, all the players that they have there, I think they can make it work. Um, I'm going to go back to fantasy football for a second. I said I was going to stray away from it, but is there anyone you're not drafting in that offense just because it's too crowded? You know, Philip Lindsay or Melvin Gordon? Um, maybe Jerry Judy. Who are you? Is there anyone you're avoiding this year because that's just too crowded over there in Denver? Yeah, um, I don't think either one of us tend to draft Philip Lindsay. At least I don't. I don't know. I, I have a personal bias against Philip Lindsay because I draft. I rookie drafted Royce Freeman a lot, so I, I'm still holding a grudge there. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually been taking Royce Freeman in like the last round of deep, deep, you know, dynasty drafts because I mean, even yeah. Um, we're really picking up Noah Fant with a few spots. And mm-hmm. Anything like tight end premium for Dynasty? We, 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 you know, we, of course, you know, trying to, we're trying to get Noah Fant a lot. I mean, somebody's going to do really well. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I've, I think it's worth rolling the dice with any of them. That, that's a lot of talent on one team. Right, mm-hmm. right, for sure. Um, so I know you said you think the Broncos might not be contending this year, but could be in the playoffs in a few years to come. Uh, just based on 2020, where do you think they'll be in the short term this year in terms of uh, final standings and you know how they align in the AFC West? Hmm. Oh, nine and seven. Okay, yeah. nine. So I'm gonna, be up, I'm gonna be optimistic. I've got too many Sutton shares to be too negative on it. Nine and seven. <laughs> All right, so Rob, you've got them at nine and seven. Britt, would you agree with that? Uh, sure. That's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I really like where they're heading this season, but at the same time, it's so unpredictable because last year it looked like they were going to have a really, really great season with the players that they had. Not as good as the players are this season, but they had a really good roster, and, you know, they didn't quite 
meet expectations. Obviously, Drew Locke was thrown in late in the year, but I still really liked that team last year, and they didn't perform to what I thought they were going to do. So maybe this year, maybe this year's the year, maybe not. Um, moving on to the final aspect and area that we're going to discuss today. Overall, which teams do you really like heading into 2020 uh, in terms of Super Bowl and playoff contention? Any playoff teams, uh, any teams you think could make the playoff this year after failing to make the playoffs last year? And vice versa, any teams who made the playoffs last year that could miss the playoffs this year? Give me your thoughts on that. Uh, I'll make a Super Bowl prediction of uh, St. Steelers. That's what I was just going to say. If you want a sleeper team, if um, if the Lions can keep Matthew Stafford upright for 13 games, um, look, 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 you know, keep an eye on them. Yeah, I agree with that, too. Lions are a big sleeper. They, 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 just, they just need to keep, keep Stafford healthy. Right, right. Matthew Stafford, uh, you know, that's that's going to be key to this season. Around him, they have the great, they have the right weapons, and he himself is a great weapon. But can he stay healthy? That's the big concern. Uh, as for the Steelers, what do you really like there? I mean, that's a pretty all-around balanced team. Um, ben Roethlisberger should be coming back. That's good. You said you like James Conner in that backfield. Defense is always great. Wide receiver corpse is is solid. So, you know, what's the thing that stands out there though to make that playoff push and Super Bowl pursuit? Look at how bad the poor back play was there last year and that defense still kept them in games like they just some, some of these games they just need like 12 points to win now they got it sometimes with Rudolph and uh Devlin Hodges playing but you know they didn't need much and I mean we we know what that offense can do when Roethlisberger is healthy you know if, if of all the things click correctly that that, that uh, they can easily make a run yeah and I'll say thanks Raven yeah that's a good one, yeah, um, yeah. You know, obviously Lamar Jackson, but the things they did. And I think Hollywood will, will make some progress this year and, and be better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we already said we love DuVernay. You know, and, 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 and one of those, one of those uh, receivers not named Brown's going to pop out either. Uh, uh, Miles Boykin, and they drafted, uh, yeah, they drafted Jared Prochet. And, I mean, you got Mark Andrews there, too. I mean, I mean they're, 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 they're in good, good shape. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be a tough division this year. I know you said you like the Steelers and the Ravens there. I'm interested to see what we get from the quarterback play all around in that division. You know, not just the Ravens and Steelers, but Baker Mayfield and Joe Burrow, but of course, as well as Ben Roethlisberger and Lamar Jackson. Uh, Sticking with the Steelers and the AFC North for a second, uh, Pittsburgh's wide receiving core. What do you think about that? Is Juju Smith-Schuster going to rebound? Was last year a fluke? Uh, are the players behind him solid enough to make that playoff pursuit? You know, I know you're Rob. You're high on that team, so just tell me what you think about that. Um, I think definite rebound for Juju. Uh, Deontay Johnson, I think, will break out this season. Rebreakout. Yes, Yeah, I mean, this, this might be a thing where neither one does like crazy, insane good, but uh, you know, over a thousand yards for. Uh, Juju and Deontay, you know, give each one you know, nine, eight touchdowns, something like that. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see how Ebron works there at the tight end spot. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so that's all I've got for you for this uh, interview. Um, before we part ways, any final bold takes you'd like to share? Anything you'd like to plug? Fire away. Actually, I'd like to plug one thing. Uh, if you go to our Twitter page right now, we are raffling off a uh, – Signed Lamar Jackson mini helmet. Uh, all money raised will go to Fancy Cares, and uh, you know that goes towards uh, buying uh, Christmas presents for uh, for underprivileged kids. So uh, 
you know, if any of your listeners want to give a look at it and put a bid in, you know, we'd appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Everyone, make sure to check that out on Twitter at him underscore her sports. That's a really cool auction, a great opportunity. Bidding ends at midnight on August 1st. So check that out again. Angry Sports Couple on Twitter. Their handle is at him underscore her sports. Make sure to check that out. Uh, Twitter link will also be or Twitter uh, handle will also be linked in the uh, description of this podcast episode. So, so thank you again to Rob and Britt for joining the show today. We discussed everything from fantasy football to 2020 season outcome, plus a bit about their unique Twitter page. I really appreciate you two joining the show. Rob and Britt, thank you for joining the Double Play Podcast. Thanks for having us on, man. Really appreciate it. So that was Rob and Britt. Great episode and interview there. Thank you again to them for coming on. Thank you to everyone for listening to this podcast episode. It was a long one, so thank you for your commitment to the show. I really appreciate it. Baseball is finally back. I can't say enough about that, so I probably should stop talking. But uh, you've heard enough of you've heard enough of me today talking about baseball. But anyways, I am so excited. Baseball is back. This is amazing stuff. Uh, make sure to follow me on Twitter for more baseball content at Anderson Picard. That will be linked in the description here. Uh, I, guys, baseball is back. Let's go. All right, that's all for this episode. Thank you again for listening. Talk to you guys soon.